Thanks for listening to this teaching from City of Life Church. Check out www.col.tv for more great teachings, service times, and information on upcoming events. Now, let's join the service already in progress. I'm going to get right into my message. Uh, It's found in Colossians chapter 3, verse 21. And it says this. It says, Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. That's the King James Version. Do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. So I'm going to talk to you today on this message of how to encourage your kids. Father, thank you for your goodness, your presence, and I pray every person that is in this room would be energized by the power of the Holy Spirit today. Thank you for the authority that we have in Jesus' name. Lord, to step into new seasons of our life. Anytime we're ready, God, uh, to move to a different level of faith, we're able to do that by trusting in you more, by relinquishing more control to you. That takes us into a different place, God. And I pray in Jesus' name today for people that are sick of remaining where they are, Lord, that they're able to surrender more to you today. Lord, to move to that another level, that we can initiate uh, some revival in our life, God, by our willingness to lay things down that have had control over us. And Lord, I pray today that we would do that. Step out in faith. Lord, let today be a resurrection of faith and hope for a lot of people that have maybe wanted to give up. And help me deliver this in a way that honors you in the name of Jesus, we pray. And everybody said, amen. Amen. All right, well, I'm going to start out with a couple of Father's Day stories. Um, The first story, but they're both stories about the beach. One is about my dad and one is about me. Uh, my story is called Staying Alive, uh, which is why we had this thing that we just had up here a second ago. My dad's story would be called Faith by George Michael. Uh, you got to have faith by George Michael. So we'll start with my story. Uh, this week, uh, I took my family to the beach, and we went to Daytona Beach. And we were just like typical, goofy Florida family. Like we you know, blew up a bunch of you know, inner tubes and rafts and stuff and, and went to the beach just kind of having a, a fun time, just, just one day, just a little one-day trip. And we wanted to get out in the water. Now, Amy has like, an, a, I want to say it's like an unnatural fear of swimming in the ocean. Uh, she does not like to watch any movies about uh, the ocean at all. She won't watch Jaws. She won't watch... What is, it, what is it, like 48 meters? Is it 47 meters down? She won't watch that. She won't watch The Shallows. She won't watch The Meg. She won't watch any. But she watches Shark Week, which is probably why she's scared all the time anyways in the first place. But she won't watch any movies about. So she just has this like unnatural, uh, unrealistic fear to me of, of sharks. So I'm always teasing her about, you know, swimming in the, in the water. She's like, okay, fine, I'll do it. So, like, we get in the water, and now she has sort of, like, freaked out my daughter Zoe about this. Now my daughter Zoe has a little bit of an unnatural fear about sharks. Anyways, we're in the water, and what do I do as dad? I like to make jokes like, let's all get in a circle. We'll call this formation the shark salad circle. Okay, so this is the shark salad formation. So now they're, like, freaking out. I'm like, oh, what's that? You know, and Amy's like, stop, it's not funny. And, like, she's trying to keep every inch of her body on the thing so, like, nothing is touching the water whatsoever. So I look out, and we're at Daytona, and at, at Daytona, like, it gets really deep, and then you can keep going out, and you'll hit, like, kind of a sandbar, like, where maybe you're from, like, the front of the building to the back. Like, when you get out there, you finally get shallow again. So I said, hey, guys, let's push out 
to that area, and I was like kind of up near my chin, pushing everyone out there. Then finally, it started getting shallow again, and we were all standing up to about right here. So like I'd been joking around and just kind of having a, a, a good time, you know, me messing with everyone. All of the sudden, I am not kidding. I am standing there, and my family is right here beside me. I see about a 10 or 12-foot shadow that is 10 feet away from my family. It is enormous. I go, guys? They're like, yeah, right. I'm like, I'm like, I am totally serious right now. They're like, yeah, come get me, Shark. They, I go, stop splashing. That draws them. Stop splashing. They're like, yeah, come get me. I'm like, no, this is not a job. I'm like, totally serious. I'm like, I swear. They're like. I was like, there is a shark right there. I'm like, let's start moving back. And, and like, I, I'm like, I'm like trying. Remember, I got to go through that whole thing that's like up to my chin. So, like, I'm going back. This thing is huge. Everyone starts running, all the other people that see this thing. It is, it is huge. And so, like, I'm pulling my family back. And I'm like, I'm like, gouge the eyes. I'm like, punch its nose. Like, I'm, I'm like, going back. I'm like, stop splashing. And, and like, they, that draws them. And I'm like, kind of losing it. That's my story. It's called staying alive. It's called staying alive. There's no ending to this story. That just happened on Thursday. I'm alive. I mean, that's, that's why I, I made it. It's kind of, they sort of didn't believe me. Anyways, okay, let me go to the other story. This is a better story. This, this story has a spiritual slant. Okay, so another beach story. We kind of grew up, you know, I was born in Mississippi. We lived, a lot of you don't know this, not that you care, but I was born in uh, I was born in Amory, Mississippi, uh, which is like close to the state line of Hamilton, Alabama. My dad and mom pastored a church in Hamilton, Alabama. The closest hospital was across the state line in Mississippi. So I actually have spent very little time in Mississippi in my life. I was born there. I've probably been there twice in my whole life. So born in Mississippi. But we would kind of go back and forth from Birmingham to Orlando starting when I was about five. And... My mom and dad wanted to be here, uh, but tried to, to get a lot of things off the ground, some churches, different jobs and stuff that didn't work. So they would have to drive back to Birmingham and, you know, move in with my dad's parents. And, and money was tight, and it was really tough uh, growing up. But when we were here in Orlando, we would always go to the beach and do really fun stuff. How many people are glad that the beach is free? Like, if you ain't got no money, that's a fun place to go, to the beach. You just go to the beach and just chill. Was, it's amazing. I mean, the other day, I was like, look at all these people. You know, there's thousands of people. You could just see thousands of people at Daytona Beach. I'm like, what are they? What are, they're not paying anything. They're just looking at God's creation. It's beautiful. God makes the best theme parks, doesn't he? So anyways, we would go to the, the beach, just hang out. And anyways... I was with my dad, and I was just a little kid, and he used to take me out on the waves and, like, throw me over the waves, and we would have a lot of fun out there. But he had his glasses on, and my dad has very bad vision, uh, can't see at, hardly at all without his glasses. And I remember we were playing, all, all of a sudden this huge wave came and hit him and knocked his glasses off. And he just started freaking out. He goes, I have to find my glasses. I mean, you're talking, he's in the ocean. I mean, it's, it's a, you know, it's, they're gone, you know, you got undertoes and, like, stuff like that. So his glasses fall off, he, 
he's looking around, and I remember he takes me back to the, to the, the blanket over there where my mom is, and he had just this defeated look on his face. And he goes, Janice, he goes, I lost my glasses. And, and he goes, I can't afford, you know, we can't afford any more glasses. And, and literally, I mean, when you lose something and you, you have no money, like it's, it's a lot different than losing something that's just sort of an inconvenience. You can go buy another one. He just didn't know how he was going to afford to have any more glasses. And she said, well, babe, she goes, why don't you pray about it? Uh, and, 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 like, if my wife told me that right now, I would get mad if she said that. Like, if I, in a situation like that, I would be like, yeah, right. But my dad actually goes, you know what? He goes, you're, you're, you're right. He goes, Father, in Jesus' name, he goes, help me find those glasses. My dad had faith. And so I'm sitting there, he goes, come on, son. And so we go out, and he walks straight back to where he was, and he walks out in the water about waist deep. This is probably, like, ten minutes after his glasses fall off. And he goes, Father, in Jesus' name. He goes, I'll find these glasses. And Father, in Jesus' name. He just starts, like, looking around. All of a sudden, he goes, Jeffrey? <laughs> and I go, what? And he literally goes like this. And he puts his glasses on. And he goes, yeah! So you got to have faith. Isn't my dad's story way better than my story? That's why he's the OG, and I'm just a young buck that's trying to figure it out. So today, I wanted to choose a very uh, straightforward text. Uh, Colossians 3, 3.21 is, is very straightforward. It's pretty simple. Let me remind you again. It says, fathers, do not provoke your children unless they become discouraged. It's, it says, lest they become discouraged, meaning if you provoke them, they will become discouraged. So here's what I want to do today. I want to break that up into three different parts, and I want it to be a very basic idea that everyone can take something from, fathers or not, but this is directed toward fathers. So first, it's addressed to fathers. We're going to talk about that last. Second, there's the command, do not provoke your children. We're going to talk about that second. Then third, it says, lest they become discouraged. I'm actually going to reverse it, and I'm going to talk about that part first, what it means to actually be discouraged. We're going to look at this text in reversed order. Okay, so we're going to direct our attention toward the goal of Christian fathers, which is raising children that are not, in fact, discouraged. Okay, so fathers do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. So can I just encourage you real quick? We are failing as parents if our children are discouraged. First of all, is anyone going to be on board today? You guys excited to be in church on a Sunday morning? We're failing as parents if our children are discouraged. The goal of a good father is to raise children who are not discouraged. What is discouraged? You ever met someone that is discouraged? I mean, someone that has lost heart, someone that is leading a spiritless life, a disinterested life. They're moody. They're down. They're, they got their head down all the time. They have a blank expression on their face. We're not supposed to allow our kids to get to this point. It means they've resigned to whatever is whatever. It is what it is. That's the kind of attitude that they have. And, and this is something that we have been encouraged in the scripture. It says, if, avoid the type of fatherhood that leads to discouragement in your kids. And that's kind of a negative approach by saying don't do this. But what it's implying is do something else. So what are you supposed to do? Well, I think that you do the opposite of whatever leads to discouragement. So what is that? So we don't want our kids to be discouraged. What do we want them to be? Well, what is the opposite of discouragement? We'll break it down in three different parts. 
Number one, I would say the opposite of discouragement is hope. I think to be filled with hope is the opposite of discouragement. When you're down and you're discouraged, you have no hope. Your hope, it's evaporated. I would say number two, the opposite of discouragement is happiness. No one that is truly discouraged is happy inside. And then number three, I would say the opposite of discouragement is not just confidence, but Godfidence. God kind of confidence. The kind of confidence that is rooted in God. So we want to raise children that are what? That are hopeful, that are happy, and that have Godfidence. God kind of confidence. Can someone in here say amen today? Okay, so Paul is talking to Christians. This is important to know that I'm not preaching today, nor is the Bible talking here about fatherhood in a general sense on writing a book and having a bestseller. This is just how to be a dad. He's talking about raising kids with a Christian worldview, a Christian mindset. We have to pursue the kind of fatherhood which gives hope instead of discouragement Happiness instead of discouragement and confidence, confidence instead of discouragement. Christian principles. So let me encourage you fathers that are here today. Be a father that gives hope. Can someone say amen today? Be a father that gives hope. Give your children hope. Not just the kind of hope that someday you'll be successful. Someday it won't hurt as much. Someday you'll find that special someone. Anybody can say that kind of stuff. I'm not talking about that. Give them the kind of hope that is the living hope of Jesus Christ. Give them the kind of hope that is rooted in spiritual things. The kind that says, why so downcast? Oh, my soul, put your hope in God. May the God of hope Fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. I'm talking about spiritual hope that is rooted in Jesus. Be a dad that encourages spiritual hope in God. Be a father that makes your children happy in God. Not just happy with a period on the end, happy in God. There's the kind of happiness that kills, and then there's the kind of happiness that gives life. You say, well, what kind kills? The kind where you just give people whatever they want. That will lead anyone to their ruin. If someone gets everything they want, your job as a dad, and there's a lot of dads that make the mistake of never building relationships with their kids and their excuse 30 years down the road when the kid doesn't even know them, has no relationship, is, well, I worked trying to give you everything that you wanted. Can I tell you something right now? That's a terrible excuse. And, and it's done many times with well intentions. But the greatest thing we can give our children is not just the luxuries of life, of having a house and electricity and clothes on their back and a car to drive and a place to live. It's not just those things. It's creating the kind of happiness that in tough situations, we're able to teach our kids through disappointment, through discouragement, through rough times in our life. We say, hey, Lift your head up a little bit. It's okay because the Bible tells us that suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character. Character produces hope in God. You can be happy in your difficulties. Learn how to be the kind of dad that looks for opportunities to make your children happy. Someone say, in God. Be a father that doesn't just teach confidence. Be a father that teaches God confidence. A friend of mine who pastors in 
uh, New York. His name is Buddy Cremines. He literally copyrighted and trademarked a word years ago that God gave him in a message. The word is Godfidence. So if you ever see that word written down, my friend Buddy Cremines owns it. And it's a great idea. Godfidence is a, is a blend of confidence and God. It's having your confidence in God. And I'm going to tell you something. You need to become the kind of dad that is teaching your kid not to just believe in yourself. Everyone teaches believe in yourself. Everyone, anyone can teach. Oh, well, you trust yourself and pull yourself up by your own bootstraps and you go make it happen. And you Look, that is wonderful. That's all fine and good. And I believe it's important. I teach my kids to be disciplined. I teach my kids to work as hard as they possibly can. And once you've done all you can, you just put it out there and you're dealing with what you, whatever you're dealing with, you're dealing with. You can't really change it too much. But here is the point I want to make that's the difference between confidence and Godfidence. You will come to a point in your life when no matter how competent you are, no matter how high your self-confidence is, you will get to a situation where your own abilities end and it can't help you anymore. You will come to a point where you need God to get you out of a situation. That your ability and power is not great enough to save you in your moment of crisis. And that's what Paul was talking about in 2 Corinthians 1, verses 8 through 11. He says, we don't want you to be in the dark, friends, about how hard it was when all this came down on us in Asia. It was so bad we didn't think we were going to make it. We felt like we'd been sent to death row. That it was all over for us as it turned out. It was the best thing that could have happened. Instead of trusting in our own strength or wits to get us out of it, we were forced to trust God totally. Not a bad idea since he's the God who raises the dead. And he did it, rescued us from certain doom. And he will do it again, rescuing us as many times as we need rescuing. Can I tell you something today? Be that kind of father today that not just inspires confidence that when a child walks in a room and shakes someone's hand. I, I mean, people all the time will say, man, I really enjoyed meeting your kids. They're so confident. They, they shake your hand. They look you in the eye. They, that's great. I, I want to teach them confidence, but I'm talking about something different. If you're complimenting my kids, I'm hoping that the thing you're, confident, that you're complimenting is that you see in them a confidence that God will never walk away from them. He will never leave them. He will never forsake them. That's the greatest thing that we can pour into our children. It's not just a sense of personal confidence, but a kind of confidence that only comes from God. So we wanted to flip this around. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. So we started on lest they become discouraged. I wanted to throw it out there what they're supposed to be. They're supposed to be hopeful. They're supposed to be happy in God. They're supposed to be confident in God. Now let's look at that middle part. Do not provoke your children. Okay, so what does that mean? This is warning us that there's something negative that we shouldn't do. It's warning us against the misuse of legitimate authority. Now Paul has just said, if you read this, this chapter that is our text and you back up a couple of verses, you will find that it tells children to obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. So that is really important. And i got to admit, for some fathers, I don't want you being discouraged today, and I don't want you feeling down about the kind of dad that you've been if you don't have a great relationship with your kid, because it can be discouraging to us as parents when we try to parent, and we're not connecting with our kid. I understand that. But what Paul is saying is that when we reach those moments of frustration and we get too hard on our kids or we start coming down on them and we begin provoking them, rather than teaching them a lesson, we're actually breaking their spirit. 
we're actually discouraging them from wanting to follow God or follow authority altogether. And it says do not provoke them. And that Greek word for provoke is erethesio. And it means don't stir them up. In your parenting and your use of authority, don't stir your kids up in a negative way that would cause their spirit to be crushed. And what do fathers do that provoke children to long-term discouragement and hopelessness? I'll mention two things. Here's the two ways that we can provoke them in a negative way. Number one is failing to be hopeful, happy, and confident yourself. That's the first way that you can provoke your kid and you can discourage your kid. is failing to have those things in your own life. Why would your children's greatest hope be in God if your greatest hope is in money or success? Why would your kids' greatest happiness ever be in God if you demonstrate on a regular basis that you find your happiness in golf and in fishing and in your leisure time more than you do worshiping God? Why would your kids' greatest confidence ever be in God? And why would they ever strive for confidence if when they look at you, your attitude to everyone is, I'm self-sufficient and I can get out of anything that I face on my own. Live it yourself. That's the way that we provoke our children to discouragement is by not living it ourselves. The most important thing a father can do for the sake of his kids is be converted and live a life that's submitted to the person of Jesus Christ. Live your life submitted to the person of Jesus Christ. Be hopeful. Be happy. Be confident in the things of God. That's the most important strategy for rearing children is to become a new man in Christ. And if you're here today and you say, I've already messed up, learn how to say I'm sorry. Learn how to go to your family. Learn how to look your kids in the eye and say, I missed it on that. You ask my kids. When I miss it, I tell them. I, go, I look them right in the eye. I say, hey, look, daddy messed up there. I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have said this. I shouldn't have responded that way. But I promise you, I'm not going to go back and do that anymore. I'm going to address that situation because I love you. I appreciate you. I honor you. I respect you. And I value our relationship moving forward too much to leave it right where it is. Why? Because I care about my family. I care about my relationships. I'm not willing to make a mistake and just go, oh, well, that's just the way it is. They can deal with it. No, that's not what I want. I've got higher aspirations for the kind of relationship that I want with my family moving forward. So I don't want to provoke them to discouragement by just giving up on what has already been done has been done. No, I want to go back and make it right. That's the way that we're supposed to be. So failing to be hopeful, happy, and confident in God... And the second thing that fathers do that provoke their children to long-term discouragement and hopelessness is inconsistent, erratic, and impulsive discipline. I just got to tell you this real quick. Fathers, how you discipline your family is very important. It says a lot about who you are. It says a lot about what you value, the way that you discipline. If your kid is worried for you to find out about anything they've done in their life because they're not sure whether you're going to hug them or explode and start throwing shoes at them or whatever it is that you do, uh, that is not a good thing. It can't be, man, I hope dad is in a good mood today. It can't be that. We have to figure out a way to, to have some order in our lives or we've pre-planned some things and strategize if it's with our wife or it's with our family or whatever or it's with our kids themselves and set some boundaries of order of the way things work when you're going to be responding and discipline, disciplining. People need consistency in their life because if you just blow up when your kid is trying to do the right thing, they're going to say to themselves, what's the use of even doing right? What's the use of even trying to do the right thing? I can't even hope that doing 
right is any better than being bad. So I might as well just go out and be bad. If every time that I try to do the right thing, I get come down on, why not just do the wrong thing? So the spirit of hope is broken in their life. And in its place uh, comes calculated, deceitful, and discouraging maneuvering in the child's life. So choose in your life to be consistent in your discipline methods. But listen to this. On the other hand... When discipline is appropriate and it's controlled and it's consistent and it's based on clear values and rules that you determine in your family, principles of justice in the home, an atmosphere is created where children can flourish in freedom. They know the limits and they feel secure and free to dream and to play and to plan and to work inside the boundaries of righteousness that you have established in your family. They gain confidence through your consistency that if my father is treating me with this kind of fairness and kindness and justice, then my heavenly father is going to treat me even better than my natural father. It gives them hope in God. Justice tempered with mercy, hope, and encouragement. Man, they, they think I, I'll even be able to accomplish something of value or even greater if I fit into this order. And, and, and I start to understand how good my father in heaven is who loves me even more than my dad does. So fathers, don't provoke your children by being impulsive, erratic, or inconsistent in your discipline. And you know, sometimes people are just, and, and, and I want to tell you, I understand, dads, this is a tough thing. You know, some, some people have kids. It wasn't a planned thing. It's not something that you signed up for. And then, some, you know, it's not like that, you know, you, you look in the mail one day, it says manual to being a father. You know, you got to kind of figure this stuff out in many ways as you go. So I want you to be the best dads you possibly can so can I encourage you read books take notes find good fathers that are around you have conversations with them say hey how do you discipline your kids how what do you do in this situation come up with a plan and stick to it can I get an amen from someone and then finally we come to the first phrase in our text which is fathers and this is dressed addressed directly to fathers and I think there's a lot of power in that now, I, I want to get spiritual for a moment in the concept of fathers uh, because in the 19th century, philosophers wanted to analyze Christianity for what set it apart from most other world religions and they wanted to reduce it to a basic concept that set it apart. And what they determined is that Christianity promotes the universal fatherhood of God and the universal brotherhood of man. Now, I'm not trying to insult 19th century philosophers, but I do want to tell you to be very careful if you think that's actually what Christianity is, because that's not what Christianity is. Christianity does not, in fact, promote the universal fatherhood of God, the universal brotherhood of man. In fact, Christianity promotes the neighborhood of man, not the father, not the brotherhood of man, but the neighborhood of man. What it actually says is, don't covet what your neighbor has. It says, don't be jealous of what your neighbor has. Uh, it says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. See, we're taught the neighborhood of man. John 1.12 teaches us, yet to all who received him, to all who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. So what this is saying is that the brotherhood 
and sisterhood that we have in Christ, the relationship that we have with God as Father is not because of the fact that we've been born and we just exist. We don't have a father-child relationship with God before we are regenerated. We don't have that relationship before we are saved. All we have at that point is our neighborhood. We're supposed to be kind to our neighbor. We're supposed to love our neighbor. It is only through the enacting of our faith in Christ that we are adopted into the family of God. And the Bible says here in John chapter 1 that we enact our right. We have the right to become children. As a matter of fact, let me just tell you something real quick. The word father is only mentioned once or twice in the Old Testament. Nobody, nobody called God Father. Nobody called God Father. As a matter of fact, the 10th century AD in Italy is the first time a Jew ever is recorded calling God Father himself personally. 10 AD is the first time a Jew was ever recorded ever calling God Father. The, the, the kids in Jewish culture were taught 30 or 40 different names that were appropriate to call God. None of them was Father. Okay? The only person that ever called God Father was a rabbi in the Bible by the name of Jesus. And by the way, every single time he ever prayed to God other than one, he called God Father. That is how special and unique the relationship is that we have through the person of Jesus, the right that we have through Jesus Christ. Jesus is the only one that had that relationship. You know what he did? He passed it on to us so that through us, God doesn't have to be, oh, most holy Yahweh, who I'm not allowed to spell your name. I'm not allowed. No, there's a part to us that in our worship, we're very reverent of God. There's nothing wrong with having that reverence. There's nothing wrong with that holiness. But there's also that part of God that says, let us come boldly before the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need, to run to our Father with arms wide open, to jump into his arms, to allow our dad to be a spiritual dad to us. So what I want to encourage you fathers to do today is to enact your relationship. Take up the right that you have in your relationship with your Father God to find out what a perfect father is like, the love that your perfect father has for you, and start mim mimicking the way God treats you. Start doing that toward your kids. You have a perfect relationship. This is a paramount idea for Christians. It's important for Christians to understand the value of the relationship we have with God as Father. Remember, not everyone has a great father. Not everyone has been a great father. But in God, we all have access to a perfect father. We can't be the best father in the world. We can't be perfect, but we can be the best father that we can be from this day forward. So if you're here today and you're a dad, you can be the best father that you can be from this day forward. I think one of the signs of great fathers is they're constantly fathering, not just their own kids. I think they're the kind of people that pull other young people alongside of them and they mentor. And I just encourage you today, be a mentor. Choose to be mentored. Find someone, no matter how old you are, choose to be mentored. Find people that speak into your life, that you invite people to speak into your life. I can't tell you how valuable it is to have mentors in my life that I regularly talk with, that just flat out call me out on things. Why'd you do this? Why'd you do this? Why'd you say that? You said this, that doesn't make sense. I, I mean, I love that. That helps shape who I am. 
I can't imagine getting past the point in my life where I feel like I don't need mentoring anymore. Choose to be mentored in your life. Being a father is an honor. Can I get an amen? I encourage you fathers, take that responsibility to be the kind of man who gives hope and happiness and confidence to your children because you yourself have found hope and have found happiness and have found your own personal confidence in God. So maybe you're here today and maybe you're discouraged. Maybe you find yourself without hope. You find yourself without happiness in God. Maybe you find yourself without confidence in God. Confidence. Well, I hope that you understand that the answer to that today is Jesus. It's the relationship that we have with Jesus that gives us access to the Father that will never leave us, that will never forsake us. I am so grateful that I have parents that have taught me and modeled toward me that kind of unfailing love. You may be sitting here going, well, you don't know what I've done lately. Does it really matter that much if your Father God in heaven still loves you? Somebody say, if God is for me. Come on, say it. Say, if God is for me, who can be against me? That's what I love about having that kind of dad in my life. Of going, hey, no matter how tough it is, somebody's got my back. There's going to be somebody there for me. Did you know that when I showed up on this property, I am 46 right now. Come here, Jude. This is my son, Jude. So Jude right now, by the way, isn't he a great dancer? Don't we love how Jude just, he knows how to, he gets that from me. <laughs> so Jude is a year older than I was when I first came to this church, when my parents started this church. This is how old I was. So the other day I'm watching TV with Jude and we were watching this show and in the show somebody got drunk and they stayed out and partied you know some kid and they stayed out and they partied and woke up in someone else's house and Jude was sitting there and he paused it for a second and he said daddy he goes I don't ever want to drink he goes I don't think that is even really appealing I don't know why people would do it he goes but if I ever did that what would you do I was like, I was like, he floored me. I mean, we're just sitting there watching a TV show, and I'm going, wow. Okay, I said, let me think about what this really actually means. So I said, well, I said, I would be much more concerned with what failures that I had created personally that led you to the point where you felt like that was something that was gonna make you happy. I'd be more concerned about where you were in your life 
on what had led you to the, ooh, I don't know, I can't think about that. I said, I said but, but the things that led you to think that that was gonna be a good choice for you, I would be more concerned about you making sure that I made you feel confident in who you were and secure in who you were that you never had to go down that road again. He said, so it wouldn't be a punishment, a specific punishment? I said, no, I don't, it wouldn't be about that's a specific punishment. It'd be more me trying to figure out what led you to that. And then he pushed play on the TV and he goes, you're awesome, I love you. I'm proud of my kids, but you know, when I was 13, the first time I ever came on this property, we lived across town, my mom and dad were working at nights, playing in nightclubs to try to make enough money to pay our house payment to start a church. They were singing top 40 music at night because it was making them almost $1,500 a week. That's the only, they grew up in church, they were kicked out of the only church that they were connected with because my dad preached a gospel of grace and wouldn't change the message like they wanted him to, to say this person's not allowed, this person's not, divorced people aren't allowed. No, he kept preaching the gospel of grace and they kicked him out of the organization. So we moved to Florida and he was working very hard to make this thing happen. So while they were working at night, I would stay with people who would watch me. And I kind of got with this group of people that weren't doing the right thing. I was 13, a year younger than my boy that's just standing here next to me. So the night before, my first time on this property, I went to a party at 13 years old. I was in the eighth grade. And at this party, there were all these high schoolers from West Orange and Dr. Phillips High School. And I saw this girl that I thought was like cute. She was in high school. And this guy that was like a junior from the football team, he was saying all this mean stuff to her. And I just thought I was gonna be like Mr. Cool or something. I was like, I was like, hey man, stop talking to her like that. She was like, ah. Oh. And I was like, he was like, well, what are you going to do? I was like, I'll whip your butt in front of this whole party. And I was just like a little kid. He was a big guy. He's like, he's like, and he just starts beat. I mean, he beat me. He beat me down. Like I had a black eye. I was, I, I was like, I was bleeding. I'd never even been in a fight before at that time. And so somebody brought me a, a bottle of whiskey as 13 years old. So I'm sitting there in a shrub. I'm like, my life's over. I'm drinking whiskey. I don't even know what whiskey is. It's horrible. It's just like the worst thing I've ever had in my life. I get drunk. My parents picked me up on the way to church. We had never been to this church. The first time I ever drove onto this property, I was hungover with a black eye at 13 years old. Can I just encourage you real quick? Never give up on your kids. Because I got a father who never gave up on me, and somehow I'm the pastor of this church. By God's grace, never give up on your family. And you know what? If you're a kid here today, never give up on your dad either. There's a lot of fathers that are here who have been through a tough time. A lot of father, people that have fathers that have been through a tough time. Someone asked me the other day, they said, oh, well, what's your plan for discipline or for, for discipleship and mentoring? And I explained some of my philosophies on that. I said, but can I tell you something? You're more interested in my plan than something I want to point out to you. I said, and I, I would like to point out to you that in the Bible, the Talmudin or the disciples in that particular time, 
the rabbi would say, follow me. But from that point on, the disciple had to make the decision, wherever he goes, I'm going to go. It had way more to do with the commitment of the Talmudin to follow the rabbi and become like the rabbi than it did the rabbi's discipleship plan. So in the same way, a lot of times we get more out of our relationship with our parents by what we're willing to put in than exactly what they're doing in our life. So maybe you've got a parent who's in a tough spot in their life. You've got a father that needs some love and encouragement. Just let them know that you're praying for them today. If you're a dad here today, I'm not asking you to be perfect. I'm just saying step out and be the man that God has called you to be. And I believe it's going to change our kids' lives in Jesus' name. Amen. This concludes the teaching. If you'd like to support what God is doing here at City of Life, click on the Give button at www.col.tv or text a dollar amount to the number 855-997-6900. We hope you'll join us again.